Welcome to the Faculty Podcast at RTS Washington, part of a 50-plus year effort to train pastors and leaders in Washington, D.C. and around the world. I am manifestly not Scott Redd, which means I don't have the intro uh, memorized, but we are glad to have uh, you here, and we're glad to continue our exploration of how to get the most out of your seminary years and kind of piggybacking on our previous episode, which was, should you go to seminary? Uh, We thought this week it would be good to talk about, okay, since you've decided to go, you've decided to take the plunge, how do you prepare for seminary? Maybe you got a month, maybe you got a year before your first class, but you're thinking, I want to make the most of my time. I want to prepare well for this endeavor. What should I be doing to uh, get ready? And uh, that question is not just an academic question. I mean, maybe I I know that I get a lot of questions about how to, um, what do I need? I haven't written a paper in 10 years. How do I write a paper and things like that? So we can talk about the academic side of things, but it's also, this is not just an academic endeavor. It's a spiritual endeavor. And so I thought we'd uh, start start there. I've got um, we've got we've got three of us in the studio today. We've got Gray Sutanto, professor of systematic theology here. Myself, professor of uh, New Testament and academic dean, and we've got our spiritual guru. He's smiling and shaking his head, but he knows he's the spiritual guru, Doctor Peter Lee, professor of Old Testament and father figure at the seminary. You're killing me. I, mean, I just have to go there, right? And I thought you could start us off, Peter, um, sp- preparing spiritually for your time. Yes, thank thank you, Tommy. You're welcome. Uh, and uh, it, it's saying something, given the fact that uh, you know our real pastor uh, is not here. Uh, I guess the mantle then falls on me to have to address this subject matter and this perspective. By the way, uh, I like the intro. It wasn't Scott Reddish, but it was very Tommy Keenish. Yeah, awkward. No, no, it was very succinct and clear to the point. I liked it. All right, great. All righty, yeah, seminary prep. Uh, I I hope it's going to be helpful and that uh, a lot of our uh, uh, community here who who listens to our podcast are, in fact, you know, people who are preparing to start seminary with us. Um, sometime soon or uh, within the next um, uh, session or so. And there are real helpful ways to begin preparation for seminary education that I have encouraged people to kind of consider at a relational level before we get into the academics. First, um, praise God, you're in seminary. (laughs) There we go. I mean, that's something I think is to to be thankful for. Uh, You got your acceptance letter or or acceptance email, Praise the Lord for this, and be excited about this new opportunity because it's going to be hopefully a real life-changing time for you. Um, whenever I think back to my seminary education, and I do that a lot given our environment, yeah, yeah. seminary was one of the best times of my spiritual life, and uh, I, could, I, I remember it being just a time of real significant growth, and and that's part of the reason why I love being in this environment, and, and I pray and hope that that's what it's going to be like for all uh, of our students who come by here, that they can look back at it and say, you know what, that was just really one of the best times of my life. And, and that's what I hope and pray uh, that they will do, is to just 
you know, you get your admissions email or, or notice, you know, just stop, pray. Pray a word of thanks to the Lord for the, for the acceptance, for this opportunity, and just rejoice in this new stage um, of life. Uh, immediately after that, I think what I would encourage them is to now kind of be sober to the reality of, of seminary education. I mean, it, it's going to be rigorous. It's going to be, you know, demanding. There's no easy way around that. Um, I, I do think that we serve our students well to make it r- rigorous academically and make them work. Um, uh, and uh, and it, it, it just takes to a certain degree kind of a spiritual, mental preparation. Brace yourself. There's going to be work. There are going to be long hours. There's going to be long nights. Um, it's it's sort of, uh, you know, our spiritual disciplines a little bit on steroids because it's really going to push you. But but I, but I most students usually enjoy being pressed in that direction to be really challenged with what they believe and to really work hard and read books that might be a little bit, um, uh, that, that takes some effort to kind of work through. So before you start your classes, you know, brace yourself, you know, prepare yourself mentally, spiritually, pray about this, because it's going to be tough at times. Mm-hmm. Some classes a little bit more than others, and oftentimes the battle or, or the the preparation can begin well if you prepare well. So think about it, work ahead of time, and, and just uh, be mentally, spiritually prepared uh, for that type of a thing. Another thing I do encourage students to do is let people know what what's about to happen. Let your friends know. Uh, let your church know. Uh, if you haven't done so, let your family know, especially those who are, who are buried with children, because definitely seminary. let your wife know. Right. Let your let your husband know <laughs> that you're going to seminary. They're going to find out sooner or later. <laughs> They're going to find out sooner or later. But but I guess more than let them know. But you know, talk about it as a family. The the impact that uh, theological education will have, uh, especially the um, uh, the 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 drain on your schedule, is is going to impact those who are around you. If you're married, if you have kids, it's gonna. There's no way around it. It's gonna make an impact. So, let them know. Let them know you're excited about this. Share with them the reason why you're doing this. Um, get them excited to back you to pray for you as well. Uh, for spouses, I actually, you know, encourage them to maybe plan to bring their spouses with them to a class or two, just, just so that they can see now, you know, why you are so excited about this. Um, so share the word. Let people know. Let pe- get people to pray for you as you are uh, getting ready to do this. And then maybe the last thing, just to kind of get this started here, um, is to let your your church know, your pastor, mm-hmm. uh, your church leaders know that you are about to start this. Uh, if you, if this is part of a greater, grander picture in terms of a, a call to ministry, a pastoral call to ministry, then I suspect your pastors sort of already know. If um, if it isn't, uh, or if they don't know, then by all means, please let them know that you're about to do this, so that you can have a an ecclesiastical support base to to help you with your education. Um, if uh, if if it's not a pastoral call, still let them know. Yeah. You know, I mean, let them. You know, there are going to be times when you really could use some real, you know, relational uh, pastoral uh, uh, advice on how to get through the rigors of uh, of studies. Now we are here as faculty to do that, but we are not your pastors. Yeah. 
you know, you're, you have a shepherd there. That's why the Lord put him there, is to help you exactly with this scenario. So make sure they know so they can keep check, tabs on you, they can check on you, so you can kind of go back to them and, and, and everyone is aware. Who knows? They may want to give you, if you're taking seminary classes, they may ask you to do a Sunday school class. Yeah. To, so now you can really put into practice the things that you are learning and uh, things like that. So I think at, at a spiritual level, uh, a, a relational level, praise the Lord, thank the Lord for this. Think, so think vertically, and then after that, think horizontally. You know, um, let your family know, let your church know, let your friends know, uh, and even existentially in your own heart. You know, brace yourself, prepare yourself. It's going to be challenging, but it'll be a great challenge. So yeah, that's great. I I was talking to Doctor Red, who couldn't be with us because uh, he's celebrating with a student. You know, he's having student lunches. Um, what he might say, and he echoed some of that, that it is of paramount importance to do this kind of corporately, do this together, to find a pastor, a friend who's who's been in seminary before, that they're kind of the best equipped to tell you what to expect, the kind of challenges that you might face, the struggles that it could that you could have along the way, discouragements. You know, I think a lot of times in ministry we don't realize as you as you embark, how discouraging it can be. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't find seminary to be a lonely time. Pastoral ministry can be very lonely. Yeah. Um, s- seminary hopefully is is not, but there are challenges that you that you are going to face and questions that you're going to have to ask. And a, a pastor, a friend, can help you anticipate those and also talk you through it. And so having that kind of uh, spousal support, family support, but then also the support of your church can be a real valuable asset. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this is for the church, right? This, it's not just for your growth, not just for your engagement, but for so that so that we as uh, as the people of God trained by the Word can be useful to the church. So it makes absolute sense that, yeah. to, that that's a conversation that's going on between your elders and and pastors. Yeah, I think that's really important advice, especially your last advice, Dr. Lee, about bracing yourself. I think some students perhaps would come into seminary with the mindset of this is going to be a spiritual retreat. I'm going to get a spiritual high. Um, My relationship with the Lord is never going to be any better than when I'm in seminary. And then they find out that they have to parse out Greek verbs and they have to understand Hebrew texts and they need Mm -hmm. to tease out and uh, really parse out scholastic treatises. And then they realize, wait a minute, I'm not feeling anything. In fact, I'm feeling really sleepy or I'm really tired, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think it's really, really <laughs> important that, that to understand that, that seminary is not a spiritual retreat. I remember telling um, one of my congregant members back in Jakarta that I went to seminary, and he kind of looked at me perplexed. He was like, what did you do, just pray all day? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> right, right. Well, there was some prayer, for sure. You need to pray through your seminary years. But um, a lot of times it's, it's really you're in the text and you are – listening intensely to lectures and you're not getting as much sleep as you wanted and you need to apply yourself into some sort of rigorous routine and discipline. So I remember um, going to seminary, Vern Poitras used to say, you know, think of seminary as a kind of spiritual boot camp. Um, and I think that's a pretty apt analogy. Now, I don't want to push it further than that. I don't want to say that it's just purely boot camp. It's just, you know, you're here to work hard and nothing else. I do think that you will experience some real spiritual joys as you learn to, to read the, the Bible deeply and understand church history better. 
but it is definitely very rigorous and you gotta apply yourself and not be surprised when that happens that getting a spiritual uh sort of uh delight is not antithetical to rigorous discipline yeah i think there's there's a kind of tension there right that on the one hand it's perfectly appropriate to make the distinction between academic intellectual work and spiritual work you know you feel it every time you're memorizing a hebrew paradigm or a I mean, maybe even Greek paradigms don't feel that spiritual to you. Um, mm-hmm. And you're, you, you, this malaise can kind of set in, like, why? how is this really helping me to grow in grace? Lua, Luis, Lua, Men, Lua, You know, the, is that really helping me grow in the Lord? Um, but that, so that distinction can, can be helpful, and we realize that there's academic work, but that academic work is designed to help you read the text in the original languages, which will hopefully allow you to ask better questions about the text in the original languages, which will hopefully impact the way in which you understand the depth with which you know Jesus and his word, and that will impact you spiritually. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of kind of practice, grunt work, boot camp, Mm -hmm. run six miles kinds kinds of things that happen, but it is for a spiritual end, and that's the other side of the tension even though we have to kind of pragmatically make this distinction between the spiritual and the academic, the goal is always the spiritual. The goal is always mm-hmm. growth and grace, service to the church, and the glory of the glory of God. So keeping that in mind, it, it reminds me of the old, this old joke that I just, I smile at when I hear it, but inside I'm groaning is the old mm-hmm. seminary versus cemetery distinction. Oh, you're going to cemetery? Um, it shouldn't be like that. My experience wasn't like that. I know yours wasn't like that. Not at all, Peter. Yeah. But, Not at all. But sometimes it does require. Hope, hopefully, your experience isn't like that because the seminary cares about your spirituality mm-hmm. and your growth and grace. But uh, in addition to that, you've got to care about that, and you've mm-hmm. got to, in the midst of those, that memorization or the getting deep into the text, mm-hmm. that the goal isn't merely academic that we grow in the knowledge of the lord so that we grow in the lord yeah, yeah. I mean, again i i'll tell you the more we talk about this i i find it really i'm i'm kind of really excited for uh, uh for those who are about to start because in many ways uh they don't really know exactly what to expect and um and i'm excited because i kind of know what they're going to see and what they're going to learn and and it for me it's exciting to see that or to understand what they're going to be exposed to, what they're going to be hearing in the classes and, and, um, and the, and, um, what they're going to learn. And, and to me, that is such a great thing. Um, and, 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 and again, that's sort of one reason why I just encourage people to just be thankful that you get this opportunity, uh, to start off with, um, you know, like for me, uh, I kind of started seminary with some, and I think this is the general experience of those who start seminary, um, with some p- sort of basic background of, of systematic theology, the five points of Calvinism, um, you know, certain aspects of, of the covenant, um, you know, uh, some basic doctrines of grace, justification, sanctification, things like that. Uh, uh, those who come from confessional standards might have some concepts of systematic theology. Um, but uh, when I was introduced to biblical theology, that just was a brand new world of excitement and, and learning. And, 
and it, you know, there's no way we can summarize it here <clears throat> in our current setting right now. Uh, but I guess that's the type of thing. I can't wait for students to start coming to, to hear about this, to learn it. To, uh, I can't wait to have the opportunity to teach it again and to share with them that this is the Word of God and you know, how it's revealed progressively, organically, all of that business. And, um, and so for me, it's just kind of exciting to, uh, to anticipate what, yeah. what they're going to hear and learn and see and and I'm, I'm just eager to have them see that and learn that. So, Well, let's switch it to the kind of academic side of things, like prepping, prepping your mind for seminary. Um, re- reading systematic theology is, I think, a good, a good endeavor. And, I, you know, I was thinking about it. What would I recommend, like a hermeneutics book? Would I recommend, you know, something like um, a survey of the Bible? And I, actually, I think a good, working through a good theology, Theological overview is actually probably the best first, mm-hmm. the first spot because it's it, it's comp, it's comprehensive in a way that some of those other resources. I mean, I teach New Testament, you teach Old Testament. We're both recommending that you start with systematic theology. I feel like a, we, we have we're more. betraying our discipline. <laughs> well, no, no, we've got more. <laughs> That's that, it's a start, but yeah. absolutely. Yeah. But maybe this is a good opportunity to throw it to you, Gray. Where where would you suggest people start well, reading if they want that? Kind that's of thing? a great question. Um, I hear you teach. I do. I do teach a little bit of <laughs> systematic theology. You know, sometimes we do get into the Bible, but uh, yes, systematic theology. Um, yeah. So I think people need to really understand the value of their creeds and confessions here. I think um, by being well catechized, by being well versed in the confession of faith, I'm thinking about especially the Westminster Standards, Westminster Confession of Faith, larger short catechisms. And be well prepared to actually get into the the biblical text and systematic theology better. Um, these creeds and confessions, um, not only the Westminster Confession of Faith, but the Chalcedonian Creed, Nicene Creed, they introduce lots of the very helpful distinctions, definitions, terms, and categories that we're going to use with regularity in the class. So your professor is going to talk about, you know, um, the covenant of works versus the covenant of grace. Your professors are going to talk about what it means to be justified or sanctified. And we're going to get deeper and we're going to unpack all of these terms, but at least you would have some grasp of what is the content of theology, the broad contours, the main outline of systematic theology. And again, you're not going to find a better place than the Westminster Standards for this in terms of a succinct, clearly outlined um, um, delineation of, of the main categories of theology. I think secondly, I would pick up a, a more contemporary or at least recent systematic theological text. Um, I recognize that if you're just about to come into seminary, you know, you're probably still working or maybe you're going to go to seminary part-time or you were a student in a different major before. So it it could be really intimidating to just pick up a a tome of a systematic theological text. But I would suggest Herman Bobbing's Wonderful Works of God as a wonderful turning point. Actually, I don't think at RTSDC we, we signed this text anywhere because we signed the Reform Dogmatics instead. Well, whose fault is that, though, Gray? Well, that's right. But, you know, the Reform Dogmatics is the— It's, it's not ours. ours. It's not our fault. Not your no, fault, no. for sure. Well, the Reform Dogmatics is, is as, you, as a lot of our listeners know, perhaps, is Bobbing's magnum opus. He goes more deeply. It's a four-volume text. He covers not only what he believes in, but also the whole history of doctrine. So every time he covers, let's say— the doctrine of um, the covenant or the doctrine of justification. He's not just talking about what the Bible says and what he believes, but in the Reformed dogmatics, he traces out what the early church says about it, what the medieval debates are about this, how the Reformation reformed, 
these doctrines and then how modern theologians continue to revise or debate these doctrines before he gets to his own contemporary statement. But in the wonderful works of God, you get a one-volume version of the Reformed dogmatics without the footnoting, without all of the intricate debates in between. And so you get this most succinct, clear, systematic treatments of these doctrines from Boving himself. So if you read that before seminary, you'll be well equipped to, again, engage into the deeper work of going through the Reformed dogmatics and going through some of the scholastic texts that we're, we're, we're covering in class. Uh, I think thirdly, so Westminster Standards, Creeds and Confessions, Boving's Wonderful Works of God. Thirdly, I would say pick up a history of philosophy text. Um, again, not too ambitious here, but a one-volume history of Western philosophy, let's say, because a lot of theology uh, uses a lot of these philosophical um, texts and terms in order to delineate and exposit theological doctrines. So terms like substance and accidents, terms like contingency and necessity, terms like ad intra, ad extra, terms of of really are, are which are really well known in systematic theology are actually borrowed from older uh, philosophical works, especially from Plato, Aristotle, and even in modern philosophy, a lot of the reform engagements presupposes some knowledge of what happened with Immanuel Kant, what happened in the Leibman rationalist empiricist debates, and so on. So I would say maybe the, the most accessible one volume, but still reliable work is, at least in recent memory, C. Stephen Evans's book, History of Western Philosophy. He's a professor at Baylor University. That's a wonderful text from InterVarsity Press. And also, um, if you could pick this up, Christopher Watkins' Biblical Critical Theory, which showcases how the Bible can engage with so much of modern philosophy. So picking up those philosophical texts, history of philosophy texts, would be really useful as background material for your classes, too. Now, Gray, you just um, wrote a uh, intro to neo-Calvinism. Yes. It's not a systematic theology in the way that you just described, but it is still a helpful, would you say a helpful primer? Yeah. For theolo- especially for someone coming in, and I do have a follow-up question with that one, but yeah. That's a great question. I do think that this will be a very useful introduction to Abraham Kuyper and Hermann Bavink, especially. If you want to think about, oh, how, how have Reformed theologians engaged with modernity? This would be a wonderful starting point, I think, uh, as a text for you. Um, if you're just wanting to consider, however, Reformed theology more broadly, this would probably be a second uh, stop rather than the first stop. So the first stop would probably, again, the Westminster Standards. But now you're wanting to ask a question of how did someone apply some of the theology found that you and say, the Westminster Standards or Canons of Dort, Belgian Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, into the modern age? Then I would definitely recommend our newest book. Yeah, and if any of our listeners want a copy of that, I've got a signed version that I'd be willing to sell. You could just email me. Thank you, Tom. If you look hard enough on eBay, you might find my signed copy there. <laughs> that's well. right. That's right. It's devalued from the original market price to whatever it is. Right you don't now. know. You gave me two or three signed copies. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know. The that. reason for that, you see, is so I can make a little, a little something something on the side. You see? Yeah, I see. <laughs> uh, for the record, they asked for these signed copies. I didn't <laughs> voluntarily just sign them beforehand. Okay, I'm not going to be presumptuous, but now I know the real intent. Yeah. Well, you know, this is. I've got six kids, Gray. I, I, you know. That's right. That's right. Hey, it went. It went. Did it get to number one on Amazon, or did it? Uh, you know, in, in terms of the the Christian systematic theology or historical or Calvinist category on Amazon, yeah. it's always the top. It's always going to be Wayne Grudem, apparently, and we got to second place at one point for about a couple of days. But that's that's great. 
it's hard to beat gluten systematic theology. Lots of lots of people. Well, are I think that's it, what I mean. you got to do next. Is write a you know it, yours is a little more special. I, I'm sorry, this is not perhaps a, this time to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> so we can edit this out. <laughs> well, I, I've run out of notes of things to talk about. So, we can... but I think you know uh, I, I bring up your your book on neo Calvinism for, for a couple of reasons. First, because I I do think it's a helpful way to. You know, it, again, it's not a, an overview of systematic theology, mm. but it does hit on some very relevant and yeah. and um, t- subject matters that yeah. are being discussed within the within the public sphere right now, the blogosphere, the you know the the um, current dialogue. But I think what's also helpful, especially from a student perspective coming in, is that it, it's an introduction to you. Mm. You're going to be their teacher. They ought to be aware of what exactly are your influences and what you read and what you get excited to buy, not not to sway you in any way, but just so that they're familiar with you as an instructor, your passions, your interests, um, and 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 in many ways, another way for students to prepare for seminary is to be aware of faculty publications mm. or um, you know um, of writings and and read those things. So and that way you you're familiar with who they are. Their influences, their backgrounds, you know. And, and Dr. Keen here um, is uh, was has been very active on his website and doing blog entries as well as writing articles here and there. Um, and really, I mean, I've said this I think towards the end of highlights of 2022, right? Mm-hmm. That one of the highlights for me was was Tommy's websites and You're some of the kind. blog. Mm-hmm. That, and that's not, and I did that for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I expect royalties after the fact. But the yeah yeah, and it's advertising free, so you'll get a hundred percent of the royalties. Thank that you. Website. Thank right. you. Yeah. But yeah. but in all truthfulness, those are really helpful points of hermeneutics, mm-hmm. which I know it comes out in your classes. So by reading that, they're not taking the class, but they're getting the uh, you know a little bit of a taste of what those classes will be like. That's uh, a, sorry. That, that's a great point, and I think you know in terms of preparation for your Old Testament, New Testament classes. Start to pick out um, the RTS publications on the biblical theological introductions to the Old and New Testaments published by Crossway. Our faculty has published in that as well. You're going to get the essays uh, that, that really delineate, again, every book of the Bible, um, which is so helpful. So if you're, if you're interested about, oh, what does it look like to go into deeper study on a particular text of the Bible that goes beyond a church Bible study or whatever, then pick these texts up and you'll get a taste of what you might get in lecture. Peter, any particular recommendations for reading, kind of one-stop shop in, in our field, biblical studies? I, uh, yeah, I do have a few. I mean, you know, um, some of the things that you find, it, you know, I, I guess trying to realize that uh, students are, are, are generally come in with a little bit more of a background in systematic theology yeah. and very little to no background in biblical theology. Even the term, you know, we have to define from almost from day one and realize the term biblical theology is not what it sounds like. Yeah, it's not what... You know, not systematic what you guys is. are trying to be biblical as well. We keep using yes, that word, but yes. it doesn't mean what we think. Right, so part of, you know, without going into a long detail what we mean by that, but a nice introduction I have found is um, uh, Graham Goldsworthy's yeah. uh, According to Plan, mm. uh, which is a very user-friendly... Um, in, in many ways, I don't think I would recommend a pre-seminary student to read Voss, because that's just, you know, way too the much. The first 40 pages are great. In terms of introduction yeah. and definition, introduction. yeah. And, but then, but then, yeah. I don't. I think it gets too granular after that. I would some agree. Guidance after that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Voss is you know for students who take the time to to really 
wrestle through this thing. They always benefit, yeah. but uh, but it might be a little um, intimidating if you, it, if you if you're starting to prepare. But the the Graham Goldsworthy thing is a nice, user friendly, mm-hmm. you know, kind. Of, he stands on the shoulders of Austin, kind of, yeah, and runs with it. And yeah, he's a good writer. Mm-hmm. So that would be that would be kind of one place I think I'd go to and just say, hey, you know, you want a sense of what biblical studies are like here. Read this; it'll give you a good yeah. taste of it. Yeah, I think that I think Goldsworthy is a good a good pull there. Yeah, for those but, who want some introduction to that. You want to get to a point where you do want to read all of Voss, right? Um, but before seminary, so I want to clarify: we're not saying don't 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 do Voss. No, read a lot of Voss, especially when you get to seminary. But to prepare for Voss, Graham Goldsworthy is a good start. Yep. Yeah, yeah. What about the kind of the nitty-gritty acad- academic side of things? So students are going to be writing a lot of papers. They're going to be doing, you know, Hebrew, Greek vocab cards and grammars and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I have some thoughts on this, but I'd like to hear you, your thoughts. Maybe students come in, they're a little bit rusty. They haven't, uh, we've got a lot of second career students, and they haven't been in the academy for a while. How do they prep for for just the nitty-gritty of homework or just straight out of college wanting to keep on going with grad school? Any thoughts, Peter? Peter, you look like you have some wonderful thoughts. You're killing me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll throw it to Gray then. Uh, Any advice? Yeah, great question. I mean, um, I think developing some kind of routine, um, starting uh, with that mindset of you should do the hardest reading first when you get the chance. So in other words, you know, if, you, if you're still working a full-time job, things like that, maybe devote Saturday morning, maybe devote uh, a little bit on a Monday morning, whatever it might be, to this this reading. It's not re- the kind of reading that you could read, I think, before bed. Um, you will fall asleep immediately, probably, in the first uh, two pages. Not that it's boring, but it's just it, t- it takes a lot of rigorous mental effort. And I think, secondly, you know, a, a really wonderful little resource on this is John Frame's How to Write a Theological Paper. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, good, a good one, yeah. So it's, I think, a good, like, 10, 15 pages of guidance of how to write a theological paper. That's really useful. So pick that up before seminary. It's not a sign anywhere in the theological curriculum, you but can prior find it, to seminary. If you Google it, you'll find it online at Frame, the Frame Poitras website. That's right. Yep, how to write a theological paper. And also start maybe perusing um, the RTS course syllabi. Um, in fact, you'll find these course syllabi for free online. Um, go to the professor that you're, you're going to take, let's say, in the summer or, or whatever term you're, you're getting into, and just check out what they're assigning, what they're expecting for papers. A lot of these syllabi would have, would have guidance on how to write a paper, how to distinguish between primary sources and secondary sources, how to write with a thesis in view, and how to build an argument. Um, so, uh, yeah, frame and theological syllabi online. Yeah, another way to prepare for specifically term papers, because I know that's the one that scares students a lot, um, and I don't know if you guys do this, but I, I actually provide samples, term papers that mm-hmm. I've read in the past that mm-hmm. were successful, so that they have sort of a template of what I'm looking for. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, those are available, so if students want to prepare by reading that and getting a fairly concrete picture of what I'm looking for, uh, what I, you know, to, to a certain degree, grading papers is a bit uh, subjective. Uh, yeah. There is an objectivity to it, but we all kind of grade on certain standards, which is tough for students. I get that. Oh, well, I don't know what to tell you. That's just one of the things to kind of learn how to maneuver through. But if you can get a sample and read it, 
you know, ahead of time as you were preparing, that that is one other way to really help out with that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're, bo- you're both saying, like, actually reading and reading thoughtfully is is prep for all of these kinds of activities. And, and I kind of go back to, you know, thinking about, okay, how do you get training in writing? And the best training in writing is to write. Mm-hmm. But really, as you get started, what you're, what you're aiming for, and I was talking to a, one of our TAs and rock star administrators before the, uh, before the uh, recording, uh, English teacher, you know, what, um, how to get training in writing. And we were kind of reflecting, you know, a lot of that is just imitating what you're reading. You know, yeah, you, that's true. I, I pick up a book off the shelf, and I learn. I I look at it. It's got footnotes, and it's formatting the footnotes a certain That's way. Right. It's got paragraph breaks every, you know, half a page or so. And like, I'm aiming to kind of copy that as best as I can with the skill sets I have, which is the same process that, you know, we basically engage in when we get dressed in the morning. I look at the other people around me, and I kind of want to be, kind of want to match, the other, you know, the other people. I don't want to be too different. I don't want to be too similar. But, I'm, really copying what the experts are doing. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's not plagiarizing. I mean, it could be that. But yeah, not it copy, copy. It's just sort of learning <laughs> to, um, you know, write in a style that's similar to those that you are, mm-hmm. uh, that have most impacted it's, you. It's imitation the form, not the material. Right. Yeah. If that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So uh, quality blogs are a great source of that, to mm-hmm. kind of at a popular level, all the way to... Journal articles. Journal articles, systematics, all that kind of uh, systematic theology, all that kind of stuff. As you read, read with the intent, like, this is this is the kind of material that I will be engaging in, but also trying to converse with in my, in my papers, in my academic work. Mm-hmm. There are also, if I can just shift gears ever so slightly here, um, uh, real practical things to keep in mind to prepare like for example how are you going to take notes are you going to use a laptop or not um uh, is it worth con- investing into like a digital recorder if your professors allow you to record lectures or not um and even all of that you know has to be there there is a certain skill to note taking uh that helps to kind of develop that before and i think students um have this misconception that more notes is better notes mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case because, I mean, if you've got, if you're transcribing notes from lectures and you are preparing for a midterm, you're basically reading, you know, almost a, a, an entire book to prepare. That's, I don't know if that's the best way to prepare for exams. So uh, note-taking in terms of preparing how to take notes well, you know, sometimes you just kind of have to try a different experiment. So that's not necessarily preparation, but it is something you can think about ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to do this? How are you going to organize yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and be really, pre- again, so that you can't be prepared yeah, from day one. Yep. Right. The only other thing I think I would encourage is, and this sounds more of an end thing, but I do find the more I talk to students about this, it's helpful is to, as you are starting, think about the the long term goal. Where is this going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it does mm-hmm. kind of help you prepare for the rigors. You know, is is this something that can take a little bit more time? Seminary. You know, uh, is this something that I can do in three years or five years? Um, you know, where where is this going? And 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 for that reason, to know where the end product is is somewhat helpful. Even now, as you are starting to plan out your schedule. Yeah. 
you know, um, uh, the, in addition to that, and I've said it before, and, and it's just just experience, I guess, just talking to so many students over the year, please keep your, your family informed of what's going on. Um, in fact, as you are preparing to make your schedule from semester to semester, give your spouse and family veto power mm -hmm. if it's too much because they're the ones who are going to be impacted. So yeah. make sure you plan these things, getting their input and allowing them to have not just, don't just tell them, give them an opportunity to, to input, you know, share uh, and comment on your schedule and what you're doing and, um, and, and being very sensitive to that. If you can do that, it's going to make the family experience a whole lot more beneficial mm -hmm. uh, as opposed, because it's always going to be foreign. They're always going to feel a bit distant. You know, they're not going to be in the class. They're not going to always understand why you are so excited about these things. So draw that in, communicate. I mean, the, if, it, you know, whether you're pastor in a church or teaching a Sunday school class or whatever, you are called to minister to the people around you. So here's circle number one, the people right within your own family. So yeah. uh, know how to do that with the classes that you're taking. So, Well, if, if I can close this on a note that you started us with, Peter, um, one of the things that we can do is praise and rejoice that this is an opportunity laid out before us. And I, I think that's a good spot to end on is we've been talking about the rigors of seminary and preparing for seminary, and that's important. But there's also a kind of relax. This is going to be fun. This is going to be... It'll be great. There's going to be hard things in your future, but this It'll is be, something to be enjoyed. It'll be great. It and will be great. That's right. Thanks for joining us. As we've been able to discuss these things, uh, feel free to rate and review and subscribe and all of those things so you don't miss out on conversations in the future. And in the meantime, take care. Unless somebody else has the material memorized. Go for it, Tommy. You're, you're the best at this. We might. I don't think that's true. Hey, welcome to the Faculty Podcast. Oh, brought to you listen by to that radio the, voice. Uh, Washington D.C. Part of a we are part of a now sixty-year um, endeavor endeavor training men and women for the gospel ministry, both here and throughout the world. Fix that. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, oh, sorry. Is that right? <laughs> Something like that. You need the mic pointed toward you. <laughs>